Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey everyone and welcome to It Never Rains, a podcast about the Oregon Ducks presented by The Athletic. I'm Tyson Alger here and I am joined by my colleague, my friend, Aaron Fentress. Aaron, I know the last month, I know the last month's been a lot of uh, driving north up I-5, driving south down I-5, but it's finally game week. Has, has it been worth it for you? You know, it has been. It's tough. I do not like fall camp on either side. I think it's all a waste of time. You have to do, you have to do it, though. But once the games start, that's when it's all real. And everything you pretty much everything you wrote about during the first month goes out the window. I'm looking forward to this game. Can't wait. So for those who don't know us, which I think you should since you're an athletic Who's that? Subscriber. Is there anyone who but, doesn't know us? <laughs> uh, Come on. I've been I've been the with the athletic for the last year. Uh, went through the 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 full season last year and, and had a great time. And Aaron came on uh, about two or three months in ago July. Uh, in no, July. And uh, we have a bit of a history together too. Back uh, we we both used to work at the Oregonian together. Uh, I think combined what was it you said seventeen years of of covering the Ducks. Seventeen years covering the Ducks. Yet we spent uh, a, the greatest sum of your life. Together, is, uh, I, was, I was your mentor at the Oregonian, and, and yeah, you recovered was, quite uh, nicely. Yeah, that was that was 2010. I was a fresh eyed 20 year old, and they trusted you with me, or trusted me with I you. Scary. Or, or, <laughs> I warned them when they asked me, I said, Are you sure you want it with me? We're trying to ruin I, the man already. I, I remember it was probably like the first or second week uh, that I was in Portland. Um, they stuck me in a car with you. Oh, come uh, on, stuck me we, in a car. They, we drove. We we drove north. We stopped at Jonathan Stewart's camp in Lacey, mm-hmm. and then in between Jonathan Stewart's camp and driving up to Seattle to cover a Mariners game, that was when the decision happened. Um, and for those who don't know Aaron, he can probably fill six hours of his own Chicago sports talk radio. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure you thought LeBron was coming to Chicago at the time. So I still was holding out like a five percent hope that he. Wade and Bosch were coming. And so we were listening mm-hmm. to Chicago podcasts on the way to Seattle. And then the announcement was made actually pregame uh, before the Mariners game. And you didn't get stuck in a car with me. I told the editors, I said, hey, Tyson's, you know, he's a big Mariner fan. I got to go up there. I should take him with me. They're like, that's a great idea. I was trying to do you a solid, man. <laughs> you know, you're just and you, were, you got to go in the Mariners clubhouse. You, you had the time of your <laughs> life. Don't lie. Yeah, I did. I did get a ride in an elevator with Reggie Jackson that game. So that was. See, uh, there you go. That was uh, that was a cool moment for a uh, twenty-year-old Tyson. But unfortunately, it's thirty-year-old Tyson now, and <laughs> um, <laughs> and this podcast is debuting as Oregon dives into Auburn week. And you know, just just for a little bit about this podcast, we're going to be on um, we're going to be on Tuesday this week, but next week. And going forward, it's going to be a Monday and Friday podcast. I believe the Monday podcast will be available on uh, a whole host of different podcast sites. Well, the Friday one is exclusive for you athletic members. And yeah, we're really excited about this. You know, it's it's going to be a little bit of analysis, some game coverage, talking about our stories, all that sort of jazz. And so I'm really excited to be here uh, with you, Aaron, and uh, uh, going on this uh, 2019 ride together. It's a dream come true, Tyson. <laughs> so <laughs> what uh what should we dive into here first since it's game uh week. let's uh, i mean should we should we talk about the auburn game or you want to talk about something else where do you want to go you know we're, we're going to we're going to really jump into the auburn game here um with uh justin ferguson our athletic beat writer uh for auburn 
and that is coming up in a segment or two but right now we should maybe take a look at the depth chart offensive offensive depth chart that sounds great this sounds like i planned it we got great you want to grade it you want to grade it <laughs> yeah that sounds like a lot of fun all right let's do that okay. let's issue some grades all right let's let's go position by position here especially since camp just concluded it's 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 game week uh what do you think about the quarterbacks Quarterbacks. All right, so we're going to go offense today. We're going to go defense on Friday before the game. With the quarterbacks, you know, everyone's high on Justin Herbert. No one loves Herbert more than I do. I jumped on that bandwagon at Cal in his freshman year, proclaiming that he's going to contend for a Heisman in the future, be a first-round pick, et cetera. But I think we saw some regression last year. I'm not all in on him being a dominant quarterback just yet. We haven't. I don't think we've seen it at all. So I'm going B-minus, A-plus talent. You're going B-minus? I'm going B-minus. Right now, that could change in a nanosecond. But his passer rating last year went down. His completion percentage last year went down. He was not able to come up in big games where the running game was struggling, which was a lot of games last year. They lost at Washington State. He got outperformed at quarterback. They lost at Utah with a freshman quarterback. They lost at Arizona. They had, Arizona had been struggling for several games leading up to that game. Then he he didn't play well in that game. I, well, he played decently, but not enough to carry his team to the win. He didn't do anything in the bowl game. I mean, there's four days right there where he was not really able to perform at a high level. So I'm staying at B- minus right now until I see something different from him. Uh, to be fair, on offense, nobody did anything in that game, so I, th- I think uh, we're going to grade on a, a, a curve a, here. A, right? a, a quarterback, <laughs> a quarterbacks rise up. That's my point. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give it the the position an A minus. I think um, there's a lot of truth in what you just said. You know, just, Justin Herbert has everything on paper. Um, he still needs to prove it. But when you're evaluating a position coming into an opener, when you have a quarterback who is thrown for seven, eight thousand yards. Um, has two and a half years of starts under his belt. So I, I just really like the stability that the Ducks here with, you know, obviously the a little bit of room to grow. Um, but I'm also taking into account, I, I think Oregon's um, depth at this position is better than it's been since probably Marcus Brian Bennett or I don't know. It, it, it's, it's been quite some time since the Ducks have had a competent backup quarterback. Um, and I, I think Tyler Shuck took a big step forward during the spring. Um, I don't think Oregon would be a great team if Justin Herbert got hurt and he got put in, but I think they'd be able to perform at a level better than uh, you know we've seen in the past when that situations are up, arose. So I think uh, I'm going to go a minus here just because you know Herbert could go out and have that type of year, and and if that's the case, the Oregon's going to be really good. And if that happens, I will change my grade. I would argue that in 2016 they had a competent backup in Prukup, but your point is very well taken. But we're we're in agreement for the most part. I'm just. Knocking it down a little bit till I see more from from Justin. All right, well let's uh, let's move on to your bread and butter. You've always been a running backs guy. Uh, C.J. Verdell uh, became the third freshman in Oregon history to rush for a thousand yards last year. Travis Dye wasn't too far behind him with about seven hundred ish. This this is a really talented group. Um, I say that in the sense of they're kind of proven. You know, they they both those players went out and did it last year. I don't think that they were at the elite level that we've seen of of certain Oregon running games in in the recent past. Um, but I I think Verdell is going to have a really good season. I, I like the way he's bulked up a little bit. I've always been a fan of the way he runs. I mean, for for being like a five ten five eleven bowling ball, he just goes right at people. Um, I'm going to give this position a a a, a B, um, and that's. That's that's a good score. Bees bees uh, got me into college, and uh, I did well in college. And uh, you know, you're, you're not going to uh, bees aren't going to trip you up. People like bees. No, you know? bees are yeah. bees are good. Uh, I'm 
<clears throat> I think I'm with there. I'm there. I'm there with you. I might give it a B plus, maybe, but maybe I'll stick at B because they do have a lot of depth and versatility. I think what we do need to see, though, is we need to see if someone is going to be that bell cow lead guy like Freeman was, like Michael James, like Kenyon Barner on down the line in Oregon history. They've usually found that guy um, to be the leader of that crew. Now, Verdell looks like he might be it, uh, but I didn't feel like he necessarily was that last year. Um, as a registered freshman, we'll see if he takes the next step as an all-around performer this year. But the depth is crazy there. And, and Cyrus Habibi Lakio could be an interesting back for them. He gives them more power, more size. I hope they don't use him strictly as a goal line back this year. I think they need to use him more in the middle of the field. He had uh, such kind of he had su- he had such a touchdown, just a crazy touchdown to carry ratio last year. I think at one point it was like five ca- or five carries and four touchdowns. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just like, hey, we're in the three-yard line. Give it to, to, to Cyrus, and he scores, and then he disappears for the rest of the game. <laughs> I hope we see more of him because I do think they're going to need some power back there. Um, but I'm going to go B, B+. Plus. I'll settle on B right now. But I think one of those guys needs to emerge as the guy, and it'll probably be uh, CJ. And by the guy, I mean, like, is we start talking about, is he on Kenyon, LaMichael, Royce Freeman-type level? Well, probably a lot of that has to do with the offensive line, which um... – is really good. Oregon's bringing back five starters. If, if you talk to um, uh, offensive line coach Alex uh, Mirabal, he'll say they have six starters when you kind of compare uh, Brady Aiello and Dallas Warmack. Uh, Calvin Throckmorton and Jake Lemieux are both going to be playing in the NFL next year. Uh, they're both preseason All-Americans on the athletic and the AP, I believe. Um, so a lot of experience there between Throckmorton, Hansen, and, and Lemieux that you have three full years of starts there. Penny Sewell was one of the best left tackles in the country last year before he went down. He's healthy. He also got into shape this year, too. He, he's probably cut. I, I don't know what exact the, exact the weight is, but he he's definitely trimmed some of that baby fat. And, uh, um, you know, depending on if Dallas Warmack starts or if they they end up bringing in Aiello to, to start over him. Um, I, I really like the starters. I like the depth Oregon has here. Um, I'm, I'm going to give this position an A. You know, I, I, I don't think there's anything else you can say about that. Oh, there's a lot that can be said about that the other way. So here's my deal with the offensive line. Clearly, there is talent there. There's no doubt about it. We saw four of these guys start as redshirt freshmen in 2016. You would expect those guys to obviously be a lot better uh, three years later. Panay Sewell is the real deal. He'll be at you know at least a, a top three-round pick. There's no doubt about that. But the bottom line is that the production last year in the run game was not there. It was the worst since Oregon went to the spread in 2005 as the least productive rushing attack from a total yards per game standpoint since 2006. Uh, And the average yards per carry of 4.4 is brutal. I think they've had four or five rushing uh, games under 100 since Cristobal took over for the Boise State game. That was at the end of the 2017 season. Think about that for a minute. I went back all the way to 2009, and I think I only found four or five games from 2009 through 2017, in which the Ducks rushed for under 100 yards. And those included games against Auburn, LSU, Ohio State. So the idea that this is one of the best offensive lines in the nation coming off what in Oregon uh, lore is one of the least productive, actually the least productive rushing attack in the last 10 years, to me, doesn't make any sense. These guys have to perform well together. They have to be stronger up front together. In big games last year, Washington State, Utah, and... um, at Arizona, those three games, they combined to rush for 259 yards total. Now, here's the thing about rushing for under 100 yards for Oregon. This is a program that over the decade, last decade, 
averages about 275. So it's one, it's, you know, it's a mediocre day when you average under 200 for an Oregon offense. To average under 100 and to do so multiple times in the last 14 games is alarming. These guys have to be better up front. They have to be dominant. If they're not, Oregon's in big trouble. In terms of winning the conference, they'll still have a winning record because they're going to play some easy teams. But to me, I'm right now, I'm at a B- minus with this group. The same thing with Herbert. The talent's there. They have to perform at a higher level. And I'm holding this whole team down up to a standard of winning the conference. This isn't just about whether they're going to be good or not. Winning the conference. And right now, Herbert and the offensive line, B-minus going into that. They have to prove a lot. You done? (laughs) And another thing. (laughs) So along with our podcast dropping on The Athletic, a whole slew of new college football shows are available for your listening pleasure. We have a Bama podcast, second and 26, with Aaron Suttles and John Hayes. An Ohio State pod, four to six with AB. Our Penn State pod, Dear Old State, with Audrey Snyder and Matt Brown, and so, so, so much more. Aaron, how could you not mention the Protect the Rock pod, our Clemson show with Nicole Auerbach and Grace Rayner? Um, I couldn't find that in my script. My bad. Ah, well, with that, let's get back to it. It never rains. We're switching over, switching onto the tight ends group here, and they have a healthy Cam McCormick, well, a healthy-ish Cam McCormick back, and he is one of the team's best run blockers. I, it was a big, definitely a big loss for them last year when he made it just a couple quarters into the season, and then that that kind of depleted a position that they thought was going to be good for them last year. Um, but he's healthy after breaking his leg. Um, him and both Jake Breland have been hobbled a little bit in camp, uh, this fall, just kind of, I think, uh, I think McCormick's had a, an ankle and, and Breland's had something undisclosed, but I believe they're both supposed to be ready for this game. Um, and honestly, kind of some of those health concerns are the only, the only reason why I'm not giving this group like a B plus, um, they do have a lot of experience there, you know, Breland and, and McCormick have both been around. Um, they have some talent behind them and, you know, they got, they got good old Patrick Herbert coming in as a four star younger brother of, of Justin Herbert. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at one point we see them connect at, at this season, but I, I don't know if Patrick's quite ready yet to, uh, take that step into, uh, earning full playing time, but, um, Oregon's going to use these guys a lot if they're healthy. But I'm going to give it probably a, a C plus B minus right now, just just based on this has been a position that's been kind of banged up for the last two or three years. If we don't see a Herbert to Herbert touchdown pass <laughs> in at least the Montana and or Nevada game, whoa, 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 there whoa, needs whoa, to be whoa, a riot. It, it'd be in Nevada. You know, you're pay, you're facing a big oh, def- a defensive yeah. juggernaut your in, Grizzlies, in the Montana I Grizzlies. Yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, especially with the fact that you can play four games and still redshirt. If that does not happen, there needs to be an investigation. I'm putting you in charge of that. As for the tight end crew, <clears throat> I think you're being way too generous. I'm, I'm going C- minus with this group. It's very average to me. Uh, I thought Breland was going to be a star. He not only has not become a star, and yes, he's had some injuries, but he's, he got beaten out by Cam McCormick, who I don't think is quite as good a receiver as Breland is. There's nothing special about this group that we've seen yet. I think they're you know they're good. They're going to do their you know do their job. McCormick, as you said, is a good blocker. But this is an Oregon program that over the last ten years has produced Tim Day, Ed Dixon, Dante Rosario, Paulson, Colt Lyler. He had troubles, but still, and Farrell Brown. Most of those hey, guys. Hey, Johnny <clears throat> Johnny Munt's in the NFL right now. Johnny Munt too is in the NFL. Yeah, I was going to say all those guys have had some type of stint in the NFL. But I don't see one of these two guys being on par with that crew I just mentioned yet. I mean, we'll see. They could emerge this season, but until they do, I'm sticking them at C-. 
All right, now we bring bring up the position that we've probably talked about the most this fall. It's the wide receiver group, which keeps thinning and thinning and thinning and thinning <laughs> and thinning. Uh, we actually bubble did a, wrap that crew, man. We, we did a, we did a test podcast about a week or two ago, and we were already talking about how um, you know th- th- this was a unit that probably I think it was right after Brendan Schooler's injury, and it was just like, man, this this is a group that can't really afford to do have any more injuries, and then Micah Pittman went down. Um, who I thought was going to be a stud for them to, to start the year. So now you're looking at a – there was one practice last week where they only had like five or six guys on scholarship at wide receiver that were just in practice. And so it's been a, it's been a thin group coming off a year where they dropped a, a nation-high 52 passes. Dylan Mitchell uh, left early for the draft. You got a couple new faces in there like Juwan Johnson from Penn State who has a very high ceiling, but he also has a low floor. Um, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if these guys put it together and they actually have a pretty good year. But right now, just based on what we saw last year and the fact that they're so so thin, um, we're I'm going to go C minus. I'm right there with you, man. Uh, there's definitely some talent on the board based on you know based on recruiting the last couple of years. But this is the one area where I I'm going to cut Herbert some slack. You know, I mentioned the lowering of his numbers. That's about time game, you give the minus. kids some credit. Dude, I hyped that guy so much. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so the fact that I sound a little negative now is just to balance things out a little bit. But it was a 52 drops last year is a reported number. That's a lot of drops, man. I mean, that's that's that you know that that's not good at all. And you, but I think you'll see natural maturation from this crew. I think you'll see a, a leap in overall consistency from the Jalen Red. I think Giant Johnson has got to be ready to take the next step. We saw I completely him. agree. Yeah, we saw him flash earlier as freshman year, and then he kind of disappeared. This is his third season, and this is what you know guys should do. Guys, you know, the natural progression is you come in and you, you build yourself up, and by your junior or senior year you peak. Uh, so I think Giant Johnson is going to be in a position to do that. The Michael Pittman loss to me, Michael Pittman loss is bigger because of the schooler loss. You lost, you lose some experience right. there. I don't think Michael Pittman was going to necessarily come in and dominate. They've had some had some freshmen in the past do pretty well, Charles Nelson, Josh Huff, but they didn't. They weren't like eight hundred yard guys. They were right. three four hundred yard guys. But that you know, in, in a spread system where you're spreading the ball around, a four hundred guy yard guy is. You know, a big deal because that's depth, et cetera. So I'm with you right now. C minus. They need to get healthy, and those guys have to prove that they can just catch the damn football, which is your job. Catch the ball, and the old line needs to prove it can block the guy in front of them. If those things happen, they can contend. If not, they're going to go. You know, seven to five, eight and four. You know, just circling back to receivers really quick. That's what you just brought up about kind of the depth and and needing that many receivers. That's that's why when Brennan Schooler got hurt. So Brennan Schooler is a three. I mean, he's he's a senior. He had the career where he started at safety. He transitioned into wide receiver, and you know he's been he's been okay. You know he he's, he hasn't been a huge target for the Ducks. It's not like he's he was a game changer, but he was a really good blocker, uh, and he brings experience into that room. And when he went down, I I did see a little bit of chatter of like he you know it's not like he was one of our star guys. Yada 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 yada. But this is a position where you need some experience, where you just need to have options, especially coming off of a year where. You know, I, I I think towards the end of the year, Justin Herbert just lost so much confidence in the rest of his receivers other than Dylan Mitchell. It, it just it it just snowballed for them. Um, I, I think just having having bodies and having bodies of guys who have, have done it, even if it wasn't necessarily at an absolute elite level, is huge. And then that just co- compounds when you lose Pittman, who uh, I think I'm a little not not to say you're not high on him, but, you know, I, I thought of what he showed during camp, he was going to make an instant impact. I'm not saying that he was going right. to have a thousand yard season, but it's just this, this is a room that needs to have bodies in it. And 
they really can't afford to have, you know, <laughs> last week there was a scare with Juwan Johnson came out of, came out of practice early and everyone's just, you know, about to throw in the towel because that, that would have been the, the end of it. But um yeah, they they well, they can't afford to get banged up there anymore. Well, yeah, you're looking at a crew where probably you're you're going to rely coming in on six guys, and one is out for eight weeks, the other one's out for six weeks, and then your big guy Juwan Johnson is going to play, but he got banged up. That's scary. When three of your top six, are, are, you know, that's and, and it's a six that you were like, eh, we're not sure about this anyway. Yeah, that's definitely scary. So they got they got to figure something out. It's going to be tough, and that's where the tight ends are going to come into play. Right. You know, Breland and McCormick have to be able to perform in the passing game to take some pressure um, off of the situation at receiver. What uh, what makes this all important is they're going to be facing a really good Auburn defense this Saturday, and we have a perfect guest to talk about that. We're bringing on Justin Ferguson, beat writer for Auburn for the Athletic. Uh, really great to have you on here, uh, uh, Justin. This is uh, probably a, a, a better hour for you out uh, out on the East Coast than for us West Coast guys over here. I couldn't <laughs> believe when I got the invitation that I was going to get to do a podcast on the West Coast this at this hour. So you guys are you guys are warriors already. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we're, not, we're, we're not happy, Justin. We, we usually struggle <laughs> with anything before eight in the morning. But, you know, we're just really <laughs> dedicated to bringing the best content possible to the athletic podcast subscribers. Justin. <laughs> Nothing interesting at camp this year, right? You know, no big, uh, no big news, no, no quarterback battle, n- nothing of that nature, right? Oh no, it was it was pretty straightforward. Just a just a common camp uh, for Auburn. Nah, I mean it's this this has probably been the most even or at least the most like contested quarterback battle at Auburn in, in in quite a long time. I mean, most of the time Auburn's had a quarterback battle under Gus Malzahn, and we can go all the way back to. 2009 when he was the first year as an offensive coordinator they've had like a clear favorite uh they've had a guy who's either a transfer a juco guy they bring him in you know had the advantage early on this time they they went down between two freshmen uh and bo nix and joey gatewood and uh it was it was a back and forth battle i mean i thought coming into fall camp it was gatewood's job to lose uh and you know here we are you know a few days out from the game and we're talking about bo nix becoming only the second true freshman ever to start a season opener at quarterback for Auburn. I was I was uh, looking through your mailbag and and it looks like Nick's was an early enrollee and was able to get some bowl prep in, um, you know, back about a year ago. Just how much do you think that kind of played a factor in just a, a true freshman like him being able to to you know be ready for week one here? Oh, it was huge. I mean, the thing about Bo Nix is that. You know, for for any of the Oregon fans uh, who who might not know, his dad was a quarterback at Auburn uh, in the '90s, and um, was his high school coach. You know, Patrick Nix um, was a college coach for a little while. He's a head offense coordinator at a, several spots, and so he's grown up around the game. He's been quite literally training uh, for this for this moment his whole life. Um, you know, his dad's been his personal quarterback coach, and he knows what it takes to succeed at Auburn, and so. This was a spot where you you had that pedigree line up with um, just a lot of talent. He's a five star kid. He was the you know number one dual threat guy in the country last year. Auburn's never signed a quarterback as highly touted coming out of high school as this guy was. Uh, and then and then the opportunity. I think he just enrolling early was so huge for him. He went from you know the final high school game he played was his second straight t- state title win uh, in six A here in Alabama, and that was at Jordan Hare. That was in Auburn. And then a week later, he's already on campus practicing. So, I mean, he's a true freshman, 
but he's been around Auburn all his life, and he has like literally been in Auburn uh, for the last nine months. So he has been really prepared for the for this. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's this day and age in college football where guys are quarterbacks are so prepared right off the bat. Um, especially if they're early enrollees. We're seeing so many freshmen rise to prominence at, uh, at the position in college football. And, you know, a lot of Auburn people believe he's the next one in line uh, to do that because, I mean, there's literally pro- there's literally no other um, scenario I think you can build a quarterback, a freshman quarterback at Auburn and, and, and have him in a better situation. I mean, he, had, he had it all coming into it. Clearly, he is athletic enough to do whatever he wants to do on the field. You don't really have to necessarily coach or teach that part of it. But is he ready from a passing standpoint to handle this burden? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, he was a dual threat quarterback uh, in high school. That's kind of his his um, you know his designation. But uh, he is a he is pretty much a pass first kind of guy. I, I think he uses his mobility. If you watch him in high school, if you watch him in high school, which uh, plenty of people around here. Uh, did and you know I covered a couple of his games when he was coming up. Um, he's very much in the style of kind of like how um, kind of like how Baker Mayfield and kind of I think Russell Wilson's another good example. He uses his legs to keep the plays alive to to throw. He's always looking to throw downfield. One of the things that stood out about him uh, during Auburn spring game is he had a couple plays where the pocket collapsed and he rolled out and instead of just take tucking it and going, he tried to keep the play as alive as long as possible with his legs. And then finally throw it downfield. He's trying to use his legs to 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 open up more avenues for the run. Very much an improvised kind of style of of quarterback. So he can run the ball. He'll he'll be able to tuck it. I don't think he'll ever be like a hundred yard a game guy by any means at Auburn. But you know he'll 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 keep it on some zone reads and and make it pay. But passing is his thing. He's a quick strike guy. A lot of RPOs in high school. A lot of short medium stuff. He was very very accurate on. I'm interested to see how he'll be able to have the deep ball going especially in his first college game. That's probably an area where he could have tightened up on. Um, but yeah, his, his throwing ability is, is what's going to make him um, a success at Auburn. And uh, he'll, he'll use his legs to keep things alive. Do you, do you think Auburn needs him to be, um, you know, just essentially electric from, from the get go? Um, you know, just looking back, you know, you guys are sorry. Auburn didn't have, you know, the, the best running game and offensive line a year ago, just what's the kind of the dynamic and focal point of, of whether or not this offense is going to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I think the best offenses of course are the ones that can be very balanced and, and Auburn, you know, in 2013, when they went to the national title game in Malzahn's first year, it was a run heavy offense, but since then, Teams have had to adjust. I mean, the Auburn's running game isn't been quite the same since then. So the years they've been successful, they've been able to have a quarterback who can, you know, deliver great passes on, on play action, who can make those quick straight decisions, who can throw the deep ball, kind of like Jared Sidham did two years ago when they, when they went to the SEC title game. Um, they need him to be early in the season. They're going to have time to grow into it, but they're going to need him to – just be a very efficient guy early on. Uh, Auburn's running game, I think, should be strong this season. Their offensive line brings back a lot of talent. Um, you know, it was a struggle last season, but the experience factor has been so huge for them, uh, especially in the offseason, getting prepared. And their running game, they've got seven guys they feel like they can trust this year. So they're going to be able to run the ball and rotate guys, guys around. I think for Knicks early on, they need him to take care of the football, just make smart decisions. Not just, I mean, that make me sound like 
that might sound like I'm talking. He needs to be like a game manager, but no, I think I think he just needs to play his style of game, kind of like what he did in high school, where he can you know get the ball out quick and 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 just just spread the wealth. Um, I don't think he needs to be a 300 or 400 yard guy for Auburn to be successful, but uh, he'll be able to grow into it. I think he just he needs to take care of the ball and and and, and be an efficient quarterback like he was in high school in an offense that's got a lot of weapons around him uh, that they believe in. This seems to be in some ways the battle of the offensive lines with a lot of experience but coming off of mediocre seasons. Um, Oregon's offensive line has been touted as one of the best in the country. I have reservations about that based on the fact that they only averaged 4.4 yards per carry last year. But Auburn returns one hell of a front seven, including a few guys who had a chance to go to the NFL but decided not to. What type of wall is off is Oregon looking at with that front seven in front of them this, this Saturday? You know, I – I don't know if there's a better defensive line in college football coming into the season, and and I know that's Uh-oh, a game high, over. <laughs> that's a that's a high that's a high that's a high thing to say, but um, you know, there's so much defensive line talent in college football that left last year. You look at all the first rounders that were defensive linemen. College football is having to reset kind of up front. Auburn was one of the few teams to bring back several guys that could have gone to the NFL, like you said. So. Um, this team is really good at stopping the run. I mean, Derek Brown statistically is one of the best interior run stoppers uh, in the country. Nick Coe, who's was their top sack guy, has bulked up and might even play a little bit on the interior this year, um, just because he's just a very you know rare, rare talent in that inside out guy. Uh, one of the things I am interested about, if if there is a reservation about Auburn's defensive line, is they had a four year starter in Nontavius Russell, who was a, who was a big time defensive tackle for them. And he didn't get a ton of stats. He was very much the guy who created things for Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson and Nick Coe. And they don't have him anymore. And that spot has been something where they feel like they're going to be able to manage with it. But the leadership and the consistency he brought down the middle is going to be missed, at least early on. So it's going to be really fascinating to me. I think Auburn's defensive line is going to be really good at stopping the run. I want to see if they can get after Herbert uh, a good bit, um, you know, because, uh, you know, looking at this numbers from last year when Herbert was pressured, those were the games that, you know, Oregon struggled the most, as it is with every quarterback. But Auburn had some games last season where they would get close to the quarterback, but they qu- couldn't quite finish the job uh, getting getting sacks. They got to take that next step in, in, in this game. So I'm looking to see if they can do that. And also if that interior uh, is going to be as strong with it with a new face or two down the middle because Oregon's going to be able to run the ball. Um, you know, they have that great offensive line that we're talking about, but also, um, you know, they got a running game. They're bringing back a thousand yard rusher. So that's something Auburn's definitely, um, you know, keeping in mind in this one. I know there's a lot of attention on Herbert, but that running game has, has, has been on high alert. I know for a lot of people uh, around here. So up here in Oregon, there's kind of, a bit of hysteria around this game, not only because it's, you know, anytime you have a, a, a big non-conference game between two, two power five teams and the fact that they're the top 25 and all those things and neutral site. And SEC. But I, I think, yeah, but mm-hmm. I think, I think part of what it is for Oregon too, it's, it's the ducks are finally kind of getting back to at least uh, a competitive level and they're facing a team that um, frankly caused a pretty open wound for them, for them back in, in 2011. Now, does Auburn care as much about Oregon as Oregon cares about Auburn? Just in the sense of there's 
there's a lot of dire was down let's get revenge you know th <laughs> this is a big game like all that sort of thing or yeah. you know since auburn has you know played in another national championship after that like does anybody down there like have that sort of like rivalry with oregon that oregon feels with with auburn <laughs> you know i i don't think i don't think it is a, as much just because <laughs> they haven't given right, Oregon I mean, a second it, thought yeah right. <laughs> they, they 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 beat Oregon and yeah. they believe that, that Michael Dyer was not down and you know wasn't. like you said they have they 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 uh, they, uh, they have this like you said they've they've been to a national championship again. I think the interesting dynamic of this game is there's so much going in of like Oregon getting back to that national you know prominence like you said a win here would be huge for them It'd be big for the Pac-12. Um, whereas in Auburn's case. Last year, they were in a very similar spot against Washington. Now, they got to play closer to home. They were, you know, just an hour and a half up the road in Atlanta, uh, not like they're going to do in Texas uh, this Saturday. But um, it, they won that game, and it wasn't a pretty one, uh, but they won it, and it was like, okay, Auburn, this is a great win in week one. You know, this you got to watch out for Auburn this year. Then they, you know, end up losing five more games that year. So Auburn fans down here are thinking, okay, Oregon's going to be a really good test. And if you lose, that's going to be alarming because you need to fix some things. And 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 it, this is already a tough schedule, and you're going to go into it with a loss already. But if they win, there's a much of a sense of you're not going to get fooled again down here. Um, you know, if, if you beat Oregon, who is a really good team, just like Washington was a really good team last season, it's okay, that's great. But what's going to really define your season is what you do later. When you have to go to LSU, go to A&M, go to go to Florida, host Georgia and Alabama, so it's a really weird spot. I think this is a bigger game in terms of all that kind of stuff for Oregon than it is for Auburn, but it's big for Auburn because this is a tone setter in a year that could be very very critical for Gus Malzahn. Now I'm sure there's respect for Oregon from a football standpoint, you know, from Auburn, but the fans down there don't they pretty much view all Pac-12 teams as like you know the West Coast surfer teams that don't really play tough <laughs> smash mouth SEC football like we do with all these mutants we have on both sides of the line. <laughs> and that, yeah, they're going to bring all their their all their cute uniforms and all their swag down here. And we're just going to smash them because we're bigger, better, stronger. Isn't that the mentality? There's there, there's definitely some of that, especially when you talk <laughs> about this matchup. Like the line of scrimmage is, is, is so crucial in every game. But in this game, it's like, Everybody's saying, look, Oregon's offensive line is really good, one of the best in the country, and Auburn fans are like, look, they haven't faced a defensive line like what Auburn's got. And I think that's true to a degree, but I'm not I'm not going to rule it out as just saying, okay, well, you know, Oregon, Oregon's not going to be able to handle Auburn's defense front, and, and vice versa. I think Auburn's offensive line has got some, you know, they should be much improved this year, but they got to actually go out and prove it this year um on, on the field because there's a lot of people who are who have a bad taste in their mouth from what happened last time and and Oregon's defensive front is gonna be very interesting I mean you, all you got to do is just point to you know Kayvon Thibodeau and say all right watch out they've got a guy who 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 wants to turn it loose early and, and make a statement to start his career um so that that's another thing that I think you got to keep in mind but well I think one of the things that maybe has kind of differed from that a little bit okay two things that I think that might temper down some of that some of that talk heading into this game is number one last season i mean auburn got hit in the mouth by washington um they know that this they weren't the cutesy pac-12 team that a lot of people 
you might have thought coming into the game. Auburn was very fortunate to come out of that one with a win. It was a very, you know, it was a very gritty, grinded out game. Auburn had to win late. It looked like a classic SEC game in terms of a lot of defense, a lot of ball control, uh, who came up with the big stops in the fourth quarter. Oregon, what you think about Oregon, I think the people down here who are in the know and the knowledgeable fans about it, they see Mario Cristobal and they know his SEC background and they see what Oregon did in some of the games they had last season. It's they're not, you know, this isn't, this isn't the same Oregon team Auburn played in, in 2010 where, where it was a very, you know, high speed spread it out kind of, you know, um, finesse kind of attack, I guess, or kind of style, I yeah, guess would be the best way to accurate. put it. They know that you're saying all the Oregon know, trigger words here. Yeah, but they have, that's what <laughs> they, they know, were. They know, <laughs> they know Oregon's been different. They know Oregon's different now, at least the people that know, because they know what, what crystal ball wanted to do. They know what, um, you know, I think, I think Willie Taggart was trying to build before he jumped ship. And I don't know how, how much of a trigger word, you know, that guy's name is up there, but <laughs> I, I think, I think they know Oregon's got to be a little bit different. I mean, this isn't, this isn't uh this isn't the same Oregon that it used to be, and I think they they share some similarities to what they saw out of Washington last season, um, a, a team that uh they they were really fortunate to beat. It's awesome that this week's finally here because I'm I'm sure just just as you down there, um, there's there's plenty of anticipation for this. Been a lot of like radio hits and that sort of thing. Are you tired of talking about the quarterback yet? Because I mean, probably every single time someone has you on, it's you know, big early game quarterback battle. I mean, that that's prop. You probably got like your spiel down pretty pretty pat, right? Like you you gave oh, a, yeah. that was a that was a pretty polished uh, delivery you gave us earlier, right? <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty of practice of that one. I, I think the positive <laughs> I think the positive thing there for me is that it was all that we were talking about for a month beforehand, right. two months, three months beforehand, and so when they finally announced it, I felt like these last couple of hits I've been able to do and things like this, I'm like, all right, let's talk about the rest of the depth chart now that we know who it is at quarterback. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's what makes this game so fascinating to me because it's, it's, it's uncharted territory for Auburn. Um, they were going to start a freshman either way at quarterback. And that's something they've hardly ever done in a season opener. It's something Gus Malzahn's hardly ever done in his career, but now it's that it's the true freshman it's like, wow. I mean, this is going to be a, this is a completely different animal. So I'm kind of tired of talking about it, but uh, you know, I, I understand why it's such a big deal because like I said, you know, we've, we've never seen anything quite like it down here at Auburn. I mean, the only other guy to start games as a true freshman at quarterback at Auburn um, did it during world war two because they had the rule in place where they allowed freshmen to be eligible because there was, you know, a war going on. Uh, were so they, this running, in the were they running the spread back then too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very much, very much the hurry up, no huddle. You know, yeah. they had the play cards on the sidelines and everything. It was, it was, it was, it was a great day. Uh, Oregon. <laughs> well, hey, I got one more sorry. question. Oregon has yep. issues at receiver. There's some talent there, but then also they, they've had some injuries lately. What kind of secondary is Herbert going to be looking at while he's dealing with the pressure of his front seven with a questionable receiving core running routes for him? Yeah, I mean, I think this might be an area where Auburn can take advantage of this one just because of the injuries. And Auburn's had their own injuries. I know you asked about secondary. They've had their own injuries in receiver, but they feel like they've gotten a little bit healthier, especially when you compare them to Oregon. So that's going to make this matchup even – the passing game is going to be very, very intriguing to me in this game. But Auburn's secondary, you know, last season um, had a lot of turnover. Uh, they had to break in several new starters, including two new ones at safety. They took their lumps. Um, if you look at the games where Auburn lost last season – uh, and, and including a couple of them that were fortunate to win, like that Washington game, 
Um, deep balls were a big thing uh, in one-on-one coverage when Auburn played a lot of a lot of that uh, a lot of that you know basically cover two man um, one-on-one balls against those cornerbacks. They won, uh, you know, opponents won a lot of them. So Auburn didn't have a bad pass defense last season statistically, uh, but they were one of the bottom, I think the bottom 25% in the country when it came to giving up deep balls. They returned four or five starters in the secondary. Uh, secondary. Uh, they're the one starter they did lose, Jamel Dean, who is now with the Tampa Bay Bucks. He was a third-round pick. Is the only guy they lost, period, in the secondary. So there's a lot of experience back there. And they're going to have to really step it up this season in terms of cutting down the deep ball. You know, Auburn's defensive line is going to be able, if they can get a better push up front and get after the quarterback better, they should be fine. But I'm still very curious about how they're going to handle the deep ball because it was a problem for them for a lot last season. Um, they've got, they've got, they had to shuffle around some things at cornerback. They're going to bring in a new starter at nickel. Um, both of their safeties are back, but this is this is an area that I think that Auburn's got to be you know, wary of that, you know, even though Herbert, you got those question marks at wide receiver. I remember the Washington game last season, Jake Browning comes back. Nobody really knew what to expect from Washington's receivers. They were healthy. Um, but, but, you know, they were very, very much, um, you know, they, they hadn't been proven yet. And Browning was able to hit some really, really deep passes in key situations against Auburn and keep, and keep Washington alive after Auburn raced out to an early lead. So that's the area where I'm really, really, concerned about i think from auburn's perspective how much is this team taking a step forward they bring back experience and we know experience matters so much uh but they got they got to cut down on those on those big plays because that's 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 that killed them in several games last season again that's justin ferguson he's with the athletic his twitter handle is at j ferguson au um thanks for joining us this morning man we appreciate it and we'll see you here in uh, a few days yeah, thanks for uh, braving the early morning to to talk to me, and uh, I will uh, I'll see you guys in Texas. Oh, what? what? <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, so thanks again to Justin Ferguson. Really great stuff, and like always, you can catch this stuff on the Athletic as well as mine and Aaron's. And uh, yeah, speaking of what's on there right now, I uh, I published a relatively lengthy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, shout out to my editor, Mike. Uh, I appreciate him uh, editing this thing over the weekend. But I published a relatively lengthy look back at the 2011 title game between Oregon and Auburn. Um, talked to guys like Nick Aliotti, Casey Matthews. Um, went into what it was like to defend Cam Newton. But really, a lot of it came down to Dyer was down. And I wasn't at this game. Uh, this was before I joined the Oregon beat. But Aaron, you were there. And I'm just curious about, you know, kind of looking back at that game and, and how it had such a kind of an impact on Oregon's trajectory and history. What, what do you remember exactly about that dire play that was, you know, obviously um, it wasn't the last play of the game. More stuff happened after that. But that was definitely one of the most pivotal plays in Oregon history, whether you think he was down or not. Yeah, you know, my recollection is obviously it's an intense moment in the game, clearly. Uh, were you in the press box or were you down from, on the field? I was, ooh, I think, no, I, you're right. I was down on the field and it was really impossible to tell what happened. It looked like he went down. I was down on the field toward the end zone of where they were going. And because I remember watching the final field goal from directly under the goalpost. And from, you know, from the field level, it, clearly he looked like he rolled and went down. You couldn't tell 
what part of his body touched the field. And then all of a sudden he starts running again. It was just mass cast. Like, what the heck's going on? Then you look up and watch the replay board and they show it over and over and they're reviewing it. And my, my feeling at the time was that he was not down. Uh, I didn't see an elbow hit or a knee hit. And now people have been talking about ankles and wrists. I never in my life can remember such a play being re- considered down or being reviewed as being down based on the wrist or ankle. Like that, that's just really, really difficult to just have your wrist or ankle touch the ground based on just how the body is built and for anyone to be able to see that happen. Right. So I felt like he was not down and that, you know, in my mind, the bottom line is you're supposed to play to the whistle. And it's one thing to not run over and pile onto him. It's another thing to completely stop and give up, which is what Oregon's defense did, and that cost him. But that all said, I mean, they were going to be second and five right there. You know, there, there's no guarantee that they still weren't going to get into field goal range. Clearly, that play got them in the field right. goal range. Clearly, that was a big deal. But it's not like it was fourth and four, and they, you know, they would have been stopped for a two yard loss and gotten the ball back. I, I still think Auburn was probably going to drive down and win the game anyway. It, it was interesting. I, I talked with former Oregon defensive coordinator Nick Aliotti about this. And, uh, you know, obviously some of these guys don't have the the fondest memories of that game. But uh, two things that from Aliotti that stood out to me. One, just about the Dyer was down play. Uh, he goes, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. If that play happened by our sideline, Dyer doesn't get up and keep running. Um, and if you go back and watch the tape, you know, that that run went toward the Auburn sideline. And before you see Dyer even get up to start running down, you can see that all all the players on the sideline going, go, 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 go. So that was obviously a big part of that. Um, but then the other okay. thing that I love from Aliotti, too, is he was talking about before the game. And, you know, he had just spent, you know, a month uh, in the film room watching Cam Newton, you know, trying trying to defend one of the most freakish college, college athletes of all time. And uh, he, they they get to uh, this the stadium in Glendale. It's a couple hours before the game. Aliotti's walking the sidelines. It's before everything got super hectic, and uh, he he sees just this massive figure out in the field. And Aliotti thinks to himself, like, "Oh man, these Auburn defensive linemen are, are just as big as I thought." Uh, you know, everyone was talking that how talking about them. These SEC guys are huge. And then the guy walks over to the ball bag, pulls out a ball, and just starts zipping balls downfield. And Aliota goes, "All right, well, that was my my introduction to Cam Newton in person." And uh, you know what? One one takeaway from that game, obviously, Oregon lost, and Aliota's not a guy who uh, you know takes moral victories. But uh, the way that they were able to defend Cam Newton in that game for being you know this allegedly um, soft, bend don't break a defense that a lot of people kind of associated the ducks with uh oregon did an awfully good job defending that oregon uh, that auburn offense and uh yeah i mean overall you look back that was an awfully good college football game in in a much more competitive national championship than oregon's second run through it against ohio state a couple years later yeah oregon's defense kept them in that game while the offense really struggled all day i think you know one of the biggest matchups going into that game was okay we've seen oregon just rip through everyone during the regular season what are they going to do against the SEC defense? They had under 100 yards in the game. That's one of the few times in the last 10 years they've had under 100 yards until the crystal ball era began. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, they figured it out and they were able to come back and tie it because the defense had held Auburn to 19 points to that to that point. I do remember there's one play that killed him. I think I wrote a sidebar on this is that the combination of a curl with a wheel route behind it really hurt Oregon. They had trouble defending that. And a couple of big plays down the sideline on wheel routes, I think one for a touchdown, and then I think they completed a curl as well. Um, but pretty much they did hold Cam Newton check and check. They did a great job. I mean, it, it was a little surprising because 
Oregon's defense was built for speed. They weren't built for Braun, and you kind of expected that Auburn was going to be able to come out and just pound it on them, and they were not, and that kept them in the game. So defense really showed up, the uh, Oregon defense. Excuse me. The defense showed up. Oregon's offense, however, did not for the most part. All right, so we're going to have more on this, the preview of this game on Friday, our Friday podcast. But for right now, I think this was uh, this was a fun little debut voyage here, Aaron. I, I appreciate you coming along the journey, This uh, especially this early in the morning. I know you're not a morning guy. Debut voyage, I like it. Yes, <laughs> this good good stuff. I'm looking forward to the Friday. We'll break down the defense, our defensive grades going into the Auburn game, and I cannot wait for football to finally begin for real. Same here, man. So... Once again, everyone, thanks for listening to It Never Rains. We're going to be here Mondays and Fridays and uh, just really excited to get the season going and for for you guys to, to be along for the ride. So let's go. 